Hello and welcome to Book Bites, a book club podcast for developers. This episode is sponsored by Pluralsight, the technology skills platform. We are reading Radical Candor by Kim Scott, and today we're going over part two, which is titled Tools and Techniques. I'm Jason Staten. And I'm Jen Luker. And Adam can't be here. I don't know what he has going on, but something that uh, is keeping him busy. So it's just us two tonight. Fun. Yeah. And I've been going over section two. I think one of the things that we we didn't get into that much last time was actually talking a bit about uh, the difference between Google and Apple. I thought Kim was actually pretty unique in that um, she got an experience in in both both companies and got to compare the ways that that they both have a little a level of, of radical candor in them, but um, how I guess Google is is very much in the mindset of being growth minded around how they they run all their operations and it makes sense in that a lot of their their work there is number driven like if you can measure it then you can go and improve it i mean we uh, talked about it quite a while ago in the uh the objectives and key results story um or book uh, measure what matters where they tried to accomplish getting uh, 1 billion hours of, of viewing time in YouTube. And, um, I mean, highly measurable sort of thing. And, uh, I mean, it took them a while to get there, but they, they ultimately did because they were measuring it and fighting for it. And, and also the same thing can, can exist with, uh, with people and, and performance is um, they, they may have a skew there or a bias there towards people who are, often elevating their numbers and um the the flip of it that that i kind of got with uh with apple is that when people are hired there they they are brought in because they are supposed to be the the best at what they do and so um whereas google has a a strong stance for um superstars those those people who are on on a growth trajectory and um always wanting to grow their their responsibility and um and just the their influence uh apple also seems to have a culture that uh embraces the the rock star type of person more or i I say type of person and that that's that's not quite right it's more modal i think uh i I had heard an interview from kim scott previously that, that she tried to clarify that that uh rock stars and superstars they are they're modal things like we shift between those but uh that apple because they're okay with people being in a rock star position that they're just really good at like one specific thing like whether whether it is making it so um the login screen on ios just works and like it doesn't screw up all the time um i mean it like little bits of that like people who who really like hone in on that and um i mean that is a practice that was done kind of from top down like they uh they talk a little bit about even steve jobs like like his approach to hiring was hiring people who knew the answers so if people kind of came to him with a question of like i mean what should we do here i mean oftentimes his answer would be well that's what i hired you to, to answer for me 
And so like you should be, you should be figuring it out. Not that he didn't have his opinions on stuff, but uh, he leaned heavily on, on the people within his company to, to get those things right. And I don't know, I just thought it was an interesting comparison that, that uh, Kim Scott offered. Yeah, it was definitely interesting looking at those two conundrums or contrasting companies, how one of them tend to, tended to be much more, I mean, they were both very empowering to the individual, but in two very different ways. And the way that they handled uh, communication was also very different. One of them tended to be direct, but kind of gave you the opportunity to learn something or make that choice before they were extremely direct. And the other one... Like, they didn't have a problem getting into what might on the outside sound like heated, angry arguments, but were actually just debates between people that were comfortable with each other. Yeah, that was that was something that that Kim calls out, that if, if you are an outsider to that, that may, that may uh, seem very off-putting that the people are, are so, so blunt with each other. But it's also... It is a level that you can certainly strive to get to in in your work environment. So you don't have to have kind of fake barriers up all the time, like being being inefficiencies there. Like, and it, I mean, it's something you definitely have to grow to. But uh, I have uh, been in situations where um, a like, I mean, it was a pretty small startup at the time, but there was a, a coworker and I. We uh, we worked on on some stuff together, and um, we actually did a lot of pairing. It was like the only time that I've like really loved pairing for a good block of time, and we did it for long long hours. And it just got to the point where, I mean, I don't know. We 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 cut out stuff like we cut out formalities and just be like, that was stupid. Like just do it this way. And it wasn't necessarily to to be completely insulting to each other, but it was just like um, I don't know. We were totally on the same page with each other, and so it uh, it made stuff get get done without uh, beating around the bush. I actually had a experience with pair programming. I was pregnant with my last child, and I was very sick. Turns out, I had medical issues that essentially made sure that I was sick the entire pregnancy. And it meant that I had a little bit of a difficult time, like sitting down and focusing and coding when I was ill on a regular basis. So I ended up pair programming with a coworker for the entire pregnancy. It was a nine month pair programming session. And it was incredible. And we very much did the same thing. We got really good at just being able to read each other. And we did clear out a lot of those common courtesies, I guess, that you have in standard conversation and like even work relationships. So it wasn't, it was just very, very direct. It was very short. It was very to the point. And not only that, but when I came back and started coding after the project was done, it felt like I'd lost half my brain. It was so hard to get back into the swing of things. And it's not that I didn't code for nine months. Uh, It was just that he spent more time at the keyboard than I did. So we had, I had a very much big picture role. He very much had the highly focused role, but it, uh, it was a really productive development format. And it does take a certain pair 
of people in order to make that work. So again, pair programming is not for everyone or for every set, but it was it was really good. We ended up developing some really great products, I think much better than they would have been otherwise. And yeah, it took me several weeks to figure out how to function without the other half of my brain after that. I, I could see that. It it almost sounds like hyper-specializing. Like you're, you're going kind of one level deeper than, than maybe your, your your job description requires because you know that you have a counterpart that, that you, you can rely on. Mm-hmm. And because of the fact that we usually had a particular position in that, it meant that I could keep like the entire project in my head and how all of the pieces were intertwined while he worked on the very specific details of what it was going to entail to write the small piece. And then as he was coding, I could make sure that what he was writing on the screen essentially was going to coincide and work with the pieces that were coming next and the pieces that already existed. So uh, it worked I out really well. I actually wrote a recommendation for for this person that, that I worked along with that was kind of in a similar situation. And uh, did you ever see the, the movie Pacific Rim? Yes, I did. And I knew exactly what they were dealing with. It actually um, is, it reminded me very much of an anime, um, Aeon Evangelia, actually. Yeah. And it, I, I, I'm not familiar with the anime, but that, that movie definitely makes me think of of the level of, of pairing or, or working alongside each other that, that we got to where it was like, you you have to have two people to make this megabot go and wreck these Godzilla like things and just I don't know do pure awesomeness and <laughs> like tr- trying to uh, like I mean there there's the guy in it that uh, winds up controlling the whole bot by himself and it is just like so mentally and physically taxing because that's not the way that it's supposed to be run. And yet, that's something that, I mean, too often we can try and, and fill ourselves because we we don't, um, we don't give that level of kind of mental synchronization because of barriers that we put up. You know, that's true. I also feel that perhaps the development culture of hands-on keyboard, eight hours a day, is very in line with that thought that you're supposed to be running the whole thing all the time. And the truth of the matter is, is if you're not stopping and thinking about what it is you're doing next, if you're not taking those breaks and getting your hands off the keyboard, then, you know, it's, you know, you could just be coding for the sake of looking busy. And I know that most of us devs don't do that. Most of us take a lot more breaks, but it's I feel like it's kind of a misnomer that those all eight hours are spent coding when a lot of that is still spent coding in our heads or formatting how things are going to function or picking apart pieces and putting them back together and making sure that they're still going to work. You know, there's a lot of thought that goes into development. It's not all hands on keyboard. Yeah, but definitely. If if you're not doing that, then I mean, what are I, you doing? I, I know we, we like to shoot for being agile, whatever that means. But um, if you if you just go on the notion of uh, we're not going to go and plan out a whole bunch of stuff that that is definitely ripe for disaster. Is if you're not intentional about about going and 
taking like taking those breaks to do assessment and um and also taking those breaks to do kind of what uh kim scott talks about in the part two on on criticism she uh um kind of bringing it back in she talks about introducing uh criticism as a a part part of radical candor by actually going and uh requesting it for your, for yourself first. So, so rather than, uh, starting off radical candor in a, in a front where, um, you are, are telling somebody else things that, that they're able to improve on. Uh, if you go and, uh, open up that venue, then, I mean, that, that makes yourself able to Im- improve. And so, I mean, if you, if you are a, a dev and, like in the position of feeling like you need to crank for eight hours a day on a keyboard. I mean, stopping, like imagine if you stopped for, I don't know, some odd period of time every day to try and get uh, feedback from some other peer to be like, how could I improve this? I mean, I I think that that is a great thing that like pull requests and stuff encourage, but to, to go and get that feedback and get that, criticism that you can work off of like how much more productive would you be in seven hours rather than eight if you were uh using one hour to actually find your flaws and improve i think on top of that trying to go to others and asking for that level of radical candor does set up the safe space required to give it as well as receive it. Because at least when you're going to them and asking for it, you've already kind of put yourself in a place to receive it without getting hurt and insulted. And then by developing that level of communication and understanding that this is how you act when radical candor is received, they get that uh, safety net, knowing that this is how it's going to be when they can give you honest feedback. And then they start to adopt that from themselves. So that when you start going to them and saying, okay, I need to give you feedback. They're like, yes, let's go. So it kind of gives, it develops that level of safe space and that level of familiar familiarity and understanding and expected outcomes that if they give you feedback and you either seriously consider it and return with information or you seriously consider it and make the change, but at least they know that that feedback loop is completed. Definitely. I, yeah, I, I think you're right. It kind of lays the groundwork and the expectations of, of what, what it can be interpreted by, by criticism. Like much like if, if you say, or if you receive criticism and then um, a, a really important part of it that, that Kim mentions is actually going and, and acting on that in whatever, whatever way is, is necessary. I mean, you, you may not necessarily, um, take specific advice from the criticism, but, but hearing the criticism and then, um, making it clear, like, this is, this is your response to it. Then it does make it clear that it is a forum and like you're, you're wanting that so you can improve, not, not just so you can soak it in and then ignore others. I just like the whole lead by example thing mm-hmm. on top of all this. It's like, yes, absolutely. I just also like the fact that once they've seen that, they know what's expected of them when you give them feedback as well. She also 
has a specific section that mentions as a, a a boss or as a leader, or I would even say just as a peer in general, that you are the exception to the criticize and public rule. So if you really want to establish the, the environment for making criticism all right, if you have if you have a specific person on your team or a direct report that is really good at, at criticizing you, asking that person to make remarks in a more public setting can be a good way of, of also establishing that environment because not everybody is is able to go and uh, let their mind be, be known. And so um, if you do that publicly, you first you can be more efficient in that um, you may not hear the same piece of feedback from five different people in and various one-on-ones but instead i mean you can get uh one person to say something and then four other head nods or something to uh to say oh yeah this this does ring true with, with several others and uh secondly um it just helps to make, make people a little bit more comfortable with that too i uh i i like that that call out that is a fantastic idea. And the first thing that I think of with this is when I first started being an engineering manager, I started asking for feedback and nobody would tell me anything. It was always like, yeah, yeah, everything's great. You're great. We're all cool. Move on. And it took months of me asking for it and giving it before they started giving it back. And I feel like if you did that, if you made someone or elevated, empowered someone, to give you that feedback in public, it not only gives you that feedback, but it trains the others on how to give feedback and what kind of feedback to give. So it becomes an unconscious training exercise, (laughs) teaching others how to do that. And maybe with that in mind, the level of feedback that you get starts being more honest and also more forthcoming your mind wouldn't go blank so quickly or their mind wouldn't go blank so quickly when it was time for feedback. Yeah. And and they would, they would let it happen in, in the moment as well. Like if you, right. if you allow something like that in a public setting, then you're, you're not saving it up for, for the one-on-one and instead like something you get handled immediately. And like, as, as somebody who is receiving the criticism, I mean, it, it definitely does put the, the ball in your court as soon as you receive it. I mean, your your first role that, that Kim mentions is that you should be listening to, to understand and not necessarily to respond to the criticism immediately. But um, make sure, like, if you're, if you're receiving something, ask questions about it to go and m- make sure it, it's clear on, on what somebody is is saying to you and like if if they're if they're not specific about something or um or if you want to know on on uh what what something they would recommend is but then um even taking that and saying okay i will i will take that and i will get back to you shortly on it to and then actually getting back to them shortly or or doing something in response to it shortly but then it's uh, it's not like minimizing what what their feedback is, and it, it gives you a chance to make an appropriate response rather than a knee jerk reaction. So I've been 
working with my sister a fair amount on reading through an an ADHD book. And it's been really enlightening trying to break apart what ADHD really is. And I bring this up specifically because I'm very, very ADHD, which means that for me, timelines are very, very difficult. I'm good at seeing a bunch of pieces all spread out on the table and being able to make those connections. But I am terrible at putting all of those things in a linear chronological type of situation. So, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily tell you if something happened yesterday or last week or last month with any clear determination. But I can tell you that these things are connected. And because of that, Being able to take that level of feedback and adapting it to how my brain functions is, you know, it could be something as simple as not just, I'll take that under consideration and get back to you. It has to be, let me write that down and like stick it on the place where I know I have a to-do that I have to think about this or put it on the calendar. So that Put it I in your of, bullet journal. Well, for me, yes, but for others as well. You know, for me, I definitely yeah. have it in my bullet journal, but I also need to block out time because it's not just a matter of, yeah, I'll just let this mull in the back of my head until something comes forward. It's I need to sit down and actually block out the time to say, okay, I need the space to do this because if I don't do this now, then I'm not going to be able to get back to you. I will forget. So I'm not going to get back to you in a certain amount of time. So being able to adapt that to different ways of thinking, different ways brains function, there's ways of doing that. Yeah. And and also, I mean, if it uh if it's something that does take a little bit more time to get back to, like from from the point that you receive the feedback to the point that you're able to act on it because not not all things can be changed necessarily immediately or like it it can't be made visible immediately. I mean, you, you talked about, about connecting the dots. Even that is something that, that you can do um, as a recipient of, of criticism is to say, um, I'm doing this. Thank you to um, to the the criticism or the remarks that, that I received from such and such. Like, if, if you do need to even draw it back, like, um, you should you should definitely make it known that, that it is well well received. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Even if it's, let me write this down and let's talk about it again in a couple days. And, or, you know, I'm thinking on this or we have this big thing coming up. So let's deal with it after that. But I mean, just like a quick little status up- update of, I haven't forgotten. I'm still working on it. Le- I will get back to you later. And then going beyond the, uh, the, the receiving of criticism, you, you, you step into, in some ways, what, what I feel like can be a, a more challenging realm and that is giving criticism because it is easier in and that to fall into uh, some of the not so radical candor realms like whether it's the the ruinous empathy in that like you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings and um or um if you if you don't recognize like if you're not inconsiderate of somebody and their situation then um you you can also wind up in the like obnoxious aggression or even like if you don't want other people to look down on you like you can wind up in the manipulative insincerity because you're just thinking about yourself and that's why you don't want to go and criticize somebody but um criticism like giving it is also something that you need to uh to do as well <laughs> giving criticism is hard for so many reasons 
you know, not only the ones that you mentioned, but yeah, mostly the ones that you mentioned. Just trying to gauge that level of honesty. How blunt do you want to be? How much are you going to? Because, I mean, there's a difference even between radical candor and being tactful and being blunt and harsh. So it Mm -hmm. can be, and it can be difficult to gauge that line sometimes. And not only that, but if you start like looking at someone's face and you're giving them feedback and they start giving you like those big, wide, scared eyes, (laughs) don't do what I do, which is to just keep talking, (laughs) trying to make it better, just progressively making it worse. So, you know, trying to, Gage how to do that too, and learning how to do that well uh, is something that takes skill and practice. Yeah, you you definitely have to watch things like like your words are, are a key thing. She she calls out uh, with criticism. Don't personalize. While you, as part of radical candor, are supposed to care personally. If during your criticism you are ever going to start saying you are blank, then you need to stop yourself right there, and um, and realize that you are you are personalizing and you are essentially like labeling the person or or making them like putting them into a more unchangeable state. And instead, um, she she directs towards having a, a situation, a um, calling out a specific situation that happened, uh, the behavior that, that you saw, and then the impact that, that it caused. And um, But by doing that, I mean, it, it gives somebody something very specific that they can work on. So then when you're, when you're criticizing, you are, like, you're giving, yeah, you're giving them, like, a lot more that they can go off of, as well as... Um, putting it on, on, on their work or some, some behavior rather than them as a human. Right. I mean, when you give a, when you define a label, your brains are so happy to receive a label. So, so happy. They love categorization and organization and planning things and seeing what they are. And as soon as you give something or someone a label, our brain just adopts it like it's magic. So putting a label on someone not only makes them feel that they fit that label, but it also tells your brain that they fit that label. And then that's all you're going to see. So trying to stay away from those personal labels and saying the behavior fits this label, this action fits this label, this piece of work fits this label, then our brains accept that as opposed to the person being something because people are adaptable. People change, but an action once it's performed is part of the past and therefore a solid thing. And all you can do at that point is move forward. And everything that happens in the future is fluid and can change and is fixable, adjustable, modifiable. So just defining and being careful about that um, plays again into psychology and how our brains perceive things. One other important part of criticism as well is trying to get it as as close to the point of uh, some what, whatever behavior you saw happened as you can, and um, that may be in like that may be in more of the situation where you take somebody aside privately and and talk to them. But as soon as you can do that, do it because you can. 
Um, first, you can give like the clearest recollection of it because you just saw it happen. Whereas if you see something and then you think to yourself, oh, well, I've got a one-on-one in a week. I'll talk to him about it then. Then in a week week's time, your your view of it may be different because as as humans our our brains they are they are very lossy mediums and uh, we have a tendency to lose a lot of details over time to be efficient in what is there and so um, having having a full discussion of it may uh, may be more challenging like a week in the future. And the thought that comes to mind here is the example of being a witness to a car crash. And when you go to give your statement a week later, you can't remember the color of the car, but you swear you do. You know the color of the car, but you go in, you say it's blue, but it's actually like red. And, you know, all of the details that you remember, and they end up just being skewed. And they're just skewed by time. They're skewed by previous experience. They're skewed by life that comes in and changes things. So... Uh, There's also a situation where, or there was a study where they took people that had like separated lobes in their brain. So like they had the left and the right front, the left and right halves were not actually attached. So they would put like a piece of paper in between their two eyes and they'd show like one side a drink, like a Coke. And then they'd ask them like, how are you doing? And they're like, you know, I'm kind of thirsty. Like, well, what would you like to drink? And they're like, you know, I think you'd really like a Coke. I'm like, well, why do you want a Coke? Like, yeah, it's just like one of my favorite drinks. And they would make up any reason possible. Our brains are very good at telling ourselves stories of why we want to do something. Not knowing that they were actually looking at a picture of a Coke because of that separation. So that's another thing is the fact that over time, we have more time for our brains to make up stories to fill in details that we don't necessarily know. So the closer you can get to it. And that plays really well into what you said before about having public immediate feedback being given. That if it's right there, right then, as quickly as possible, it can be immediately addressed or adjusted or put on the calendar. But at least you get more of the details right then than you would otherwise. She also mentions that if you're in a remote situation that you should not necessarily wait until you're you're in person but she does recommend pretty much use the highest fidelity medium that you can like if you can do a video chat then do that because then you've got body language and if you can't do that then do a phone call and if you can't do that then send an email and then i i don't know i mean maybe maybe a text but Slack. um yeah. yeah yeah not a tweet <laughs> no 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 not not a tweet that don't do that Un- unless you are unless you're mad at comcast because your cable's out then tweet or wait on the phone for an hour all right so there's exceptions but again that's about behavior not people right and and that and that's a company too so you can you can criticize a company right no it's not, it's not personalizing you're just upset about what the company's behavior is which is no internet exactly failure to give you what you paid for yeah 
All right, so I think that we have uh, pretty good coverage of, of criticism. And uh, before we keep going on, it seems like a good time to go and do an ad. This episode of Book Bites is sponsored by Pluralsight. Pluralsight is the technology skills platform. You can see where your skills stand, master the latest technologies, and show off your expertise. They're currently hiring in Salt Lake City and Boston. The culture of their engineering organization is shaped by developers for developers. They work in small, cross-functional, autonomous teams focused on carrying, carrying experiences from concept to delivery. Each team is autonomous, so they own the discovery, design, development, delivery, and production support of their part of the overall system. They encourage test-driven development, pair programming, continuous delivery, as well as refactoring and clean code. Engineers are involved in every step of the process of building new features, and they talk to customers to find out what their needs are. They have a culture of continuous learning and have book clubs and discussion groups. Pluralsight was just named the number nine best workplace and one of the best workplaces for women by great places to work. You want to work there and work with Adam? Visit Pluralsight.com slash careers slash engineering to learn more. That's Pluralsight.com slash careers slash engineering. And for those of you who would be interested in checking out the product, you can DM at Pluralsight on Twitter and they'll send you a free trial code so that you can experience the platform for yourself. And thanks to Pluralsight for sponsoring the show. All right. So now that we've done a bit of criticism, let's talk a little bit about praise. Yay, praise. praise. Yeah, praise is another one of those things that uh, you you have to do tactfully. And it's it's not as easy as, as just, good job, I knew you could do it. Do what? And it, when did I do this? And, and what specifically did you like about it? And this is too vague. I don't know what to do. Right. Yeah. That that is kind of meaningless praise. Like they they cannot take that and and go anywhere with it. And much like criticism, where you should be giving people direction on 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 how they can improve or like what what you noticed, um, praise as well should should be similar in that. You should have a situation, a behavior, and an impact. Like instead of saying you're a genius, because the uh, the response to that could potentially be like, "Who are you to, uh, to question my intelligence, or to be the judge of it?" You know. Versus if you were to uh, give somebody the the feedback of, in the presentation, you talked about our decision to include diversity in the company. It was persuasive because you showed everyone that you'd heard the other point of view. That kind of cover, covers the situation of in the presentation, the the fact that you talked about the decision for, for diversity was the behavior that, that you made, and as well as the impact, because to say that it was persuasive, and I guess kind of going back to the behavior that you showed that you heard the other point of view, that is that is very actionable, and it is it is a behavior that somebody can reproduce. Like when you're praising somebody, you're you're encouraging them to do more of that thing. And if you don't tell them what that thing is, or where that happened, or or why it's a good thing, then yeah, they they don't have any guidance. And the exact same thing goes for criticism. You need to have a when, what you did, 
why. Why Why was it good? Why was it bad? And the other thing is your genius applies a label and people feel the need to stand up to that label. So you, as someone saying you're a genius, is going to be expecting more genius things. And them, feeling like they were just a genius, have to stand up to that. And that can be really overwhelming to not quite know what it is you did, but know that you have to stand up for it now. You have to always be that. So again, applying that away from a person and towards a behavior encourages that behavior to keep happening and allows people to make mistakes without horribly punishing themselves for not standing up to your expectation of them. You're right. That, that is another label categorization situation. In the earlier part of the book, she also talks about about giving praise at the correct time as well and and that is very much a a a personal based thing because giving praise in public can sometimes be good for certain people and certain situations but not necessarily all situations like when um i think she talks about uh giving a award to a woman or, or praise to another woman and uh not too long after uh the recipient of it uh, she was kind of upset because she felt like it was dismissive of all the work that other people on her team had put in as well. And so by giving praise publicly, it's almost, it's almost like she put, or you put the person who received the praise at odds with everybody else on the, on the team. I've seen this done so often and so easily. And it could be something as simple uh, as, you know, thank you leader for making this happen when the thing that happened was actually part of the committee that was under the leader. The leader Mm -hmm. may have actually had very little to do with the work, but they were the ones that took all the work that the committee did and presented it. So it can be insulting to everyone who did the work if the praise doesn't fall down that same level. That they they just get, get to take credit for everything that you do. Their faces on the epic of the Jira ticket, so therefore, it, it was it was them that did all that lifting, right? All 144 points, and and uh, I mean, kind of like you said, it and it's not always like an intentional thing. It just somebody has to be assigned to it. Sadly, but truly, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, but it's just it's a matter of. You know, there's the things that are like we <clears throat> we lose together as a team, but we win as individuals. It's just be careful which individual you assign it to. And make sure that if you're going to praise publicly that everyone involved gets that praise and not just the one person that spearheads it or is at the top or however way that works. Just because... Whatever it is, is likely a lot of hard work, and a lot of people had fingers in it. So, and, and then there's some people that just really, really hate public criticism or public uh, compliments just as much, right? It, it's just horribly embarrassing to have that level of focus on someone. So you need to make sure that you understand how they're going to handle it as well, how they prefer to handle it. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. I mean, it... Some of it comes down to um, even if they are a rock star or a superstar, 
like if somebody does really well on something and um, they are in a more rock star type mode in their life right then giving them a promotion for for doing a great job is probably the worst thing that you can do (laughs) uh well that that isn't just the praise that you're giving that's like how you're giving them praise not just Mm -hmm. yeah that's difficult that's not just like a compliment that's that's a career changing kind of either exciting thing or trauma yeah i i mean i guess i could see it may like maybe less likely with development because it's it's not specific to one uh, particular accomplishment but i could see something more like it in the sales realm for example like say somebody closes the first i don't know 10 million dollar deal for your company or something like just something phenomenal and then all of a sudden they are moved from um being like senior sales to sales manager and that is an entirely different role because you are no longer the person who is like working with people um like you're you're doing less of the individual contact but instead like you're raising everybody else on on a sales floor if you're not the person that likes managing people or if it's just not your role it's not what you want out of your career. That can be, I mean, it's a whole career change. If you go from whatever it is your job is to managing people, that is an entire career change. So trying to do that to people without them being aware of that's coming is, it's kind of cruel, to be honest. It's cruel to put someone in a completely different position than they may have wanted without necessarily asking them or preparing them for that role. So, uh, if that's the situation, like definitely talk to someone before you go promoting them like that. And I'm not saying that it isn't wanted. I'm just saying, make sure that you've talked to them first. Yes. Yes, definitely. (laughs) And, and don't do it in a public forum of of the worst possible way to do it. Yeah. Especially if they look horrified and really (laughs) would prefer to reject this promotion. Right. (laughs) Yeah. All the failed marriage proposals in public are now running that is, my head. <laughs> that, that's exactly what, what was going in my mind. I'm going to propose at Thanksgiving dinner in front of her great-great-grandparents and everyone down. Right? There's there's the, the classic YouTube videos of uh, being on a basketball court. And, <gasps> uh, and getting rejected and, in front of millions like rejected of people. Right in the yeah, middle. And then someone just walks away. <laughs> that yeah that that moment anyway so. moving on before uh <laughs> that sinks in any further than it already has okay similar to to that note um is the section on gender politics hey that i think is an excellent topic that that kim covered in the book that's really really important is that radical candor is is different for women and and that you need to recognize that both uh, as a a male and and a female in in the workplace and uh she she has a lot of specific call outs depending on your perception radical candor is actually different from men yeah so i mean when it comes to that it's much it it can cross those 
gender boundaries pretty heavily and that our perceptions are still quite skewed. They're, they're definitely biased, unfortunately. Yeah. She says early, early on in that section that I mean, men from, from a young age can be trained to, to be gentler with women and, and that, uh, and that it is very likely for, for men to go and, and pull their punches and, and not go and, and give things like criticism that women need to, to improve. I love the little example that she gave there about like a woman getting her first bit of criticism as like a young adult and just getting really angry about it because they'd never received it before. They didn't know necessarily how to handle it either. So that can go both ways, but I don't think that that necessarily means that you shouldn't give criticism. I think sometimes it's a matter of defining when you are crossing that gender boundary that you are a little bit more explicit about, I'm going to give you criticism now and give a few seconds to like transition modes. Yeah. And, and also as we, we kind of explained earlier on in the criticism section i mean opening yourself up to criticism first kind of sets that tone that we are in an environment where we give each other feedback so that we can improve and and realize that that's what criticism is for i mean she explicitly says that criticism is a gift like if if we don't tell people how that they can improve then then they won't like we we all have have blind spots and that's what what we can definitely rely on each other to to help call out so that way we can improve and improve those things and uh just generally get get better like and be like more productive in a workplace like happier as people like it it uh it could be things that even we put off as minor but but can be uh pretty important i mean she mentions early on with the example of uh, getting called for using ums a lot in her presentation and while she herself didn't see that as a big deal it's one of those things that has been critical to her success Uh, kim scott in her career is public speaking because that's something she does a lot now and had she not had that feedback really early on then how limiting would that be to her now I had a thought and I can't remember what it was. On the note of being limiting to to women as well, that is one of the other pieces that, that's covered within that section is that while um, we like if if we don't if we don't give criticism in, in an equal manner, like if if uh, if women just don't have that and it detracts from their, their progression in their careers, that Whereas, say, Bob gets promoted because he's receiving the criticism he needs and he's improving, and Alice isn't getting the feedback she needs to know how to improve, then how much faster of a career trajectory can he be on versus versus Alice if she's not getting that same level? And how much it stacks, especially over time. Because, um, I mean, you can, you can certainly see it with... Um, people who are our developers like how um because like how wildly different things like our pay scales can be because of decisions or, or situations or 
or whatever happened really early on in our careers, like that, that can influence a whole lot. Like whether it's like, if you, if you get a job that you are, are are making peanuts and then uh, stick around there for a long time because um, of whatever reason, and then um, don't ever get the feedback you need to, like progress to a higher role. Like if you if you stay at a job and you they keep you as a junior engineer for three years or something like that, whereas other people happen to move from junior to um, some other like mid level or something like that quicker, like that makes a huge impact where you are ten years down the line. And so, I mean, yet again, why it's so important to to give feedback and, and criticism equally i hadn't quite necessarily thought about it that way which is so cool but going beyond that it's also important the type of criticism you give that that criticism be equal as well you know there's there's books that have made fun of it uh i've seen them in women's bathrooms among other places that say things like okay she's bossy but he's assertive and she's annoying but he's insistent So it can, the way that we use our language to provide that criticism matters. Yeah. She calls out the, the term abrasive for women. Or shrill. Have you ever been called abrasive, Jen? Once or a dozen times. Hmm. And that is, that is like, it is such a a gendered term. Like you think of it, I, um, I cannot recall a situation where it it has been uh, applied to a man. I mean, it I, I, like I'm sure it's happened, but um, likely disproportionate. Yep, it's uh, it's just one of those things that we have to be extremely aware of. And something that she says in the book is to switch genders before you give that feedback. Would you give this feedback if it were, you know, George, your coworker, versus Sally? And if it's something where you'd say, "Oh yeah, totally." then just double check before you give it just to make sure. But, you know, it's, it's important that women get feedback. It's important that men get feedback. It's just important that the feedback that we give is helpful and not be nicer, smile more, bake cookies. Yeah, definitely. It, uh, it all, it all goes back to both, uh, the, the praise and criticism about being very specific about things like that doesn't have to be applied to, one gender or the other just say like this is the impact that that you had here and i i also think that um yeah just like it's it's not productive to go and and label somebody as x like once again that i mean to say that jen you are abrasive like that is that is labeling you rather than a a specific behavior or a situation yep a specific incident yeah, but I'm I am definitely glad that that Kim called out the topic because it is an important thing and it is something that that we need to be aware of whether it it be gender, whether it be cultural as that she kind of talked about in in other parts of the book because not all parts of the world uh give praise or receive criticism in the same way and um I mean that's an inherent part of, of radical candor is just like having that relationship with 
with your with your peers, with your boss, with your your reports, and um, having it at a level where you can understand the the way that is best to communicate with them. I think that says it all for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was an excellent read, and uh, we'll certainly be recommending it to, to others as well. Definitely. I mean, I, I've already brought it up to a few coworkers at work, and I'm like, you should read this. And haven't had anybody take them up on it, but uh, I will. This is yet another reminder after recording this to go and, and bring it up yet another time at work. So, yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to record, John. So even, even though Adam couldn't make it, I'm definitely glad that uh, that we could talk it over. I think it went well. We had fun. Yeah. And uh, to anyone listening, uh, thanks for, for taking the time to listen as well. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find the show notes and transcript on orbit.fm slash bookbytes. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter at, at bookbytesfm. And Jen, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on jenluger.com or on Twitter at knitcodemonkey. What and about you? I'm on Twitter at State and Jason uh, occasionally. And next time, Adam will be back and uh, we'll be starting on a new book. I'm looking forward to it. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> See you next time. See ya.